Who was the first president to hold a press conference on television? Kennedy. Kennedy. Good. Okay, David, you're getting upstage. That's really good. Okay. Who was the shortest and lightest of all presidents? James Madison. James Madison. How tall was he? Okay. Five, four. Okay. Who was the first president to ride on a railroad train? What? Lincoln? No, that was a bad ride, so not Lincoln. <laughs> it was before then. Before Lincoln. Andrew Jackson. Okay, how about, how about this one? Who was the first president to be born in a hospital? Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Good job. Okay. Who was a, a pilot in the Texas Air National Guard? George H.W. Herbert Walker Bush. All right, here we go. If you get this one, I'll be really impressed. Who was buried beneath a willow tree that he planted, his head resting on a copy of the Constitution? Mm, he wasn't a president. <laughs> Andrew Johnson. All right, and then, and then my last one, right, my favorite one of all. Okay? You know which one I'm going to say, right? <laughs> you can't answer this one. But I'll let you know. Who got stuck in a bathtub? Taft. Taft. 332 pounds. I didn't know this. It was the first time he used it, he got stuck. I mean, it's one thing to like know your staff for a while and then get stuck, but it's one, another thing to first time uh, sit down and whatever, lay down and you get stuck. So anyway, the, the presidents tell a, a history of the United States, and they are, are in many ways heroes of the faith, heroes of the country that we can look forward to. And as I think about the Bible, the, the Bible tells a story and has its own heroes of the story as well. The, the story of our nation continues to be written. The story of the Bible has been written, though it continues to be lived out. But the Bible tells a story of how God redeems his people, whether it's Jews from Egypt whether it's Israelites from Babylon or whether it's us today in bondage of sin, the Bible tells a story of redemption. It, it tells a story of how we were in trouble and how God brought us back to himself. And central to that story, perhaps the, the biggest, most prominent figure, the George Washington, if you will, of the Bible, is a man called Abraham. God called him from Ur the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq, called him to travel land up north and then down south into the, the land of Palestine, the promised land of Israel, about a thousand miles. He had to travel, leaving all of his possessions behind, only what he could carry in his caravan. And when God called him in Ur of the Chaldees, this is what he said. He said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, Abraham, with the, the promise of a land and a, and a seed and a blessing from God, he went. And he came into that land, and indeed he became the father of a great nation. He became the father of the, the Jewish people, a people which continues until today, 
Longana, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they're all gone. We, we don't know of anybody who's one of their descendants, but we know who are some descendants of Abraham. In fact, there are quite a few of them walking the planet. The Jewish people have endured until this day because, why? God has stayed true to his promise to make of Abraham a great nation. And the Jews have never forgotten that all goes back to Abraham. He's the father of the nation, and he's the one to whom many of them will look. They will look to him and study him and read about him. And the story of the Old Testament is really how a, a story of how God has been faithful to Abraham and from his seed, faithful to the nation of Israel, redeeming them. But what's often missed when you think about Abraham is that he, he had a life, he had a role to play in other nations as well. When God called Abraham, he said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And right there is the seed of the gospel, that through Abraham and through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is the blessing that God gave the nation, the Jewish nation, through the promised seed, Jesus, to all the nations of the earth. It's come about that him, a Jewish man, the God-man, from the seed of Abraham, sacrificed upon a cross for our sins, that though we aren't Jews by, by nature and by birth, we are children of Abraham by faith. And the blessings of Christ, forgiveness of sins, come to all who believe in Him. And the promise of the book of Revelation is such that there will be, there will be, it's promised, representatives from every tribe and tongue and people and nation around the throne, giving honor in those last days to Jesus Christ who ransomed them with his blood to be the people of God. And the role that Abraham would play in the redemption of those around the world was actually made clear to Abraham himself. For when he received the covenant of circumcision, God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. Not not just merely one, but a multitude of nations. And, And it was at that moment that God changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. As we come to our text today, we're going to see this this very thing spilled out by the Apostle Paul, how Abraham isn't merely the father of the Jews, but he is the father of all who have faith in Jesus. In fact, this is the title of my message this morning. It's the father of faith for all. It comes from Romans chapter 4. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to Romans chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible or don't have one electronically, you can look at page 941, the Pew Bible in front of you. We're just going to look this morning at, at verses 9 through 12. And uh, I try to take a, a paragraph each time uh, in preaching through Romans. And today it was, it was kind, of, <clears throat> kind of an interesting text because it's only four verses <clears throat> Excuse me. It's only four verses. There is a lot there, but there's 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 not a, so much that we're just going to continue on. My message today might be a little shorter than normal. To which the people said, "Hallelujah, Amen." So never complain about that. I did think about spilling over into thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen, but we'll we'll hit that next week. But here's Romans four verses nine through twelve. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? 
Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised. Who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Well, our text this morning really begins with a question. The question comes in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. This question really... <clears throat> Excuse me. Takes us right back to our text from last week, verses one through eight. Right? And if you remember how I entitled that message, who remembers my title from last week? This is, this is extra points. Something what? Counted righteous. Good job. Thank you, Tina, because you did some work on that for me, probably. So she gets the added benefit of that. Or you got your bulletin? I don't know, but it's good. It's encouraging. Counted righteous. Because that's what these verses talk about. Three times they speak about someone being counted righteous, counted righteous, counted righteous, or considered righteous, or or reckoned righteous. And they speak of the reality of what God does with our faith. When, When we believe in God, He then credits it to our account as righteousness. We look up to God in faith, and He looks down to us, giving righteousness into our account. And so, even though we aren't righteous in and of ourselves... We look to God, and our faith by God then becomes righteousness. I mean, it seems too good to be true, really. But that's the glories of the gospel, and that's what God does. It's case in point is Abraham. Verse 3, what does the Scripture say? That Abraham believed God, and it, that is his faith, his belief, was counted to him as righteousness. It's a quote from Genesis 15, verse 6, that proves Paul's point. And God told Abraham to go out at night and look up at the stars. Look up at the sky, the night sky, and just say, well, count the stars if you can. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. And what's true of Abraham is true of the gospel, right? When we believe in Christ, God accounts that faith to us as righteousness. He credits it to our account because by grace through faith that we are saved from our sins. Well, Paul continued last week, right, with the illustration of what it means to be counted righteous, the illustration of a worker. Verse 4, right? To the, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, right? That's how the gospel comes. It comes by grace. It comes not by works. See, the worker doesn't receive his wages as a gift. He receives the wages as what is due. But we are not like workers with God. God's righteousness doesn't come like that. God grants us His righteousness by His grace through our faith as a gift. And that's what Paul said back in chapter 3, verse 24. This is the main point, right? We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so I have to bring up Abraham, bringing up this work illustration. He brings up David. He mentions the blessing that he received when God didn't reckon his sins against him. The implication is he reckoned righteousness to him, didn't reckon his sins to him. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
And last week, right, we reflected upon these words from Psalm 32 and how freeing it is when your sins, which lay heavy upon your shoulders, are are taken away. And how life-giving it is when your sins, which stain your soul, are cleansed deep within, covered over. How blessed it is when, when your sins, which come with a penalty of death, are not counted against you. It's the gospel, right? And, and I press upon you, church family, the importance of experiencing these things in your heart and in your life. It takes the burden from your back. It restores your vitality. It will bring you everlasting joy. And this is the blessing that comes with believing in Christ being counted righteous. And so with that as a backdrop, verses 1 through 8, then Paul, Paul picks up this theme of blessing from verses 7 and 8. And he asks then, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. This question really comes up because David, if you remember, was a, a circumcised covenant member of the community. And so is it only for them? For him, or what about Abraham? I mean, he was, he was the one who received the covenant of circumcision. Is this blessing only for Jews? Now, Paul, of course, knows where it's going, but it is a, a great question, right? Is it only for the Jews? Well, the answer comes in, in verse 10. And in his answer, Paul focuses upon Abraham. By the way, Abraham is the focus of chapter 4. Uh, I mentioned last week he's mentioned some 20 times. Him or a pronoun, mentioning it to him. And after chapter 4, only mentioned twice, just talking about his sons, a genealogy. So we're going to be a lot in Abraham. We're going to be thinking about him a lot over the next couple weeks as we finish through chapter 4. But here it is. Here's the answer. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? Now, before we spoil the answer, I want you to, to think about it, right? When Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, was Abraham circumcised? Now, for many of you just might know that answer right away, but maybe some of you don't. Let's think about the life of Abraham. God called him in Genesis chapter 12, saying, Go to this land I will show you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's the great promise to Abraham when he was in a pagan land, not necessarily pursuing God. God pursued him. And then in Genesis 15, right? we see here, that's Abraham's faith. Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's at Genesis 15, 6. That's that big statement of the, of the gospel. And then in Genesis 17 comes the covenant of circumcision. 17 verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So the question of verse 10, right? How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? All right, help me out. Was it before or after he was circumcised? Before. Right? Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. Paul answers the question. The second half of verse 10, right? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it does tell a story, and this is significant. It's significant that he was circumcised. It was that he, he believed and faith was counter righteous before he was circumcised. And it's interesting here, if you chase it down a, a little bit more, you see that his circumcision even came quite a bit later. Like, there's, there's no doubt about, well, maybe he believed, and then maybe like the next day he was circumcised. Because in chapter 16, Ishmael was born, conceived and born. And in Genesis 17, we see that he was circumcised age 13, the very same day 
as a father was. So you think about, we're talking Abraham believing, receiving righteousness for 13, 14. Some rabbis even place it in the 20s of years that he was circumcised, was believing without being circumcised. And, and, and here's the wonderful thing, right? And sometimes when the, when the Bible speaks about history and how it lays out and someone says something at a different time, it's a, it's a wonderful showing that the, that the Bible's this book of a story. It's a novel, way more than it is an encyclopedia. But, but the point is this, is that this timing was not an accident. All right, let's look at uh, my third point this morning. It's the purpose. Right? The, the purpose comes in verses 11 and 12. I want to read verse 11. So you say, why is it that Abraham was reckoned righteous and then a decade and a half or more later he was circumcised? He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, right? he, he had the righteousness by faith and the circumcision was merely a seal and approval. The purpose, and there we get that, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. In other words, right, circumcision was a sign of the righteousness that Abraham already possessed. By faith he obtained righteousness in Genesis chapter 15 and he was given a covenant of circumcision in chapter 17. And here, here's the big lesson for us, right? Righteousness doesn't come through circumcision. All right, so I don't think many of you probably came today thinking that. All right, the, the, the Jews thought that. But if we just extrapolate this a little bit and we realize that, that many people maybe don't think of circumcision as bringing righteousness, but think of other things as bringing righteousness, right? Other religious acts that might be performed and might, might be done, right? You just, just think about a pagan world. Um, you can see that taking place, whether it's in Africa or India, with just whatever, or some, some other place where, where it's not where it's godless entirely. And uh, people bring sacrifices to their altars. Whether that's just even food sacrifices or offerings or they do their, their puja, they do something, right? Thinking that God's going to bring some blessing in their life or their God or whatever, they're, they're, right? They're, they're coming and thinking that that's the very thing that's going to bring them blessing. But if anything that this teaches us is that, right, that the blessing and the righteousness doesn't come through a religious act of offering up your idol worship. Or, or in, in pagan lands, right, people give their money to the holy men, right? They got some problem in their life, and so they, they seek this, whether the voodoo or whether it's spiritists or animists, right? They're going to find some holy man and, and give him some gifts in return for something, thinking that his righteousness, his righteousness or my righteousness or this gift is going to help. And, and Paul would say no. Or, or, or maybe just even in Hindu lands where I have been on a number of trips, a high importance placed on the burial ritual. Just making sure the oldest son right, lights this fire in the mouth before the body is consumed so that the spirit can go and graft off into the river. I mean, thinking like some religious act can bring righteousness, but we would see here that righteousness doesn't come through circumcision. It doesn't come through some religious act. And, and what, what pagan lands and people can see and experience is the same as the church as well. Whether people think like, like going to church, right? Merely attending a church service is some, some religious act that will help them righteously, right? And you see that oftentimes people when they just, oh, I've got to go to church. And so they'll, they'll go to church and then they'll, whatever, come home as if kind of going and watching some entertainment or some service or some listening is going to make them better, make them righteous, 
because they can't miss church because that's so important for their righteousness. Or whether it's giving to the church. I know I need to give because when you give, here comes this, this blessing we're going to get. Or this is the path to righteousness. Or look at how much I've given. You know, and the, the Pharisees certainly dealt with those. Right? They were the ones that sounded the trumpets before they went and, and gave their money to the, the synagogues. Or maybe prayers, right? They would sound the trumpets. Hey, look at how righteous I am. I'm getting righteousness because of these specific prayers I'm praying. Or maybe some candles that are lit, right? Some, some righteousness comes to me or maybe some dead loved one that sometimes people think. Or whether it's being dipped in water or eating some bread and drinking some juice, people think often easily that, that these religious acts are going to bring them righteousness. And, and Paul really corrects us there. And he says it's not something we do that brings us righteousness. And, and Paul would just say this, if, if you think it is, He would bring you back and just say, okay, let's think about Abraham. When was he circumcised? When was his religious act? It was after he believed God and was trusted in him as righteous. It wasn't wasn't before. It wasn't before. See, Abraham wasn't counted righteous through some religious ritual. His circumcision didn't count him righteous. It was his faith. It was the religious ritual that came later. And there were purposes in that. And, and, and Abraham and the Jews should have walked in obedience. And so I'm not saying don't go to church or don't pray or don't give to the church. Or don't. I, I'm saying that those things need to have their place post-faith, after faith for righteousness. And in and of themselves, they're not bringing righteous. It's just an obedience what God says. And, and, and even this timing of Abraham comes with a purpose, not for obtaining righteousness. But here's the interesting thing. Its purpose wasn't for Abraham. His purpose was for us. So I think in many ways, maybe God wasn't thinking of us by name, but he was definitely thinking, okay, faith reckoned as righteousness here. Think about all the Gentiles. Abraham's going to be a father of faith for all these Gentiles. And then here comes the circumcision. Because I say this was God's higher purpose for Abraham, being reckoned righteous first and then circumcised next. Because right in the middle of verse 11 The purpose, right? Why is it that he was made righteous first and then circumcised? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. It's interesting here that righteousness being counted to us as well without being circumcised according to the the Jewish law was because Abraham was first reckoned righteous and then circumcised. And Paul here is talking about the the Gentiles, obviously. He's talking about those who've grown up without the law, who have not walked in obedience to the law without any uh, religious heritage. And and by the way, you can easily apply that to people in our society as well who are growing up apart from the church, who don't have any religious heritage, who don't really know about God or Christ or the Bible. The the application comes right there. and, And Paul brings him back to Abraham, and he says, hey, hey, look look at Abraham. He believed before he was circumcised, and he was counted righteous before his circumcision. And you, you've, you've not been circumcised. You've not lived under the law. But you can be righteous in the same way that he was, simply by believing and trusting in God, and thereby he can become your spiritual father. And so likewise, you can tell people who are not at church, I know you've not been at church, I know that you've not grown up at church, you don't have any uh, bearings on what this is, but listen, you simply need to believe in Christ, just trust in Christ, and you can be righteous like anyone else. You don't have to put on 
uh, rituals or things or duties. You just believe like Abraham did. And catch this, for all intents and purposes, Abraham came to faith like a Gentile. And really, the father of our faith was a Gentile because Abraham was a Gentile before he was a Jew. Think about that. And to the Jews in Rome, and for Jews all over the world, I mean, that, that certainly would be shocking. I mean, it would even be maybe shocking and offensive to some Jews today to contend that Abraham was a Gentile first. Though you can see what I mean. Because the, the Jews, it particularly would be, be frightening for them or shocking because they prided themselves as being children of Abraham. And as children of Abraham, they expected, right, the, the blessings that would just come to them automatically that God, that God made. And, and they despised the Gentiles. They considered them outsiders. Remember, even sometimes the Gentiles in the, um, uh, in the New Testament are used just as a despicable term. Just, oh, those Gentiles, look at them. So Jews had this, this pride, and, and really they were, were boasting, basically, in being a, a physical descendant of Abraham. And this, this is all, all taken away. And, and in fact, you, you know, this, this whole battle about being the Jew or being a Gentile, it, it's going to come up a lot in Romans. You're going to see it in Romans chapter 9, just about the, the children, it's the children of the promise who are the children of God, right? It's because it's uh, Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael. It's through Isaac your descendants will be named. And then Isaac, it's Jacob and Esau. It's through Jacob. So it's not even strict physical ancestry back to Abraham where the blessing comes. The blessing comes through the promise the believing seed is who it comes from. And so even in the early church, there's this battle, and Paul addresses it a little bit in Romans 9. He's going to address it more in, in Romans chapter 11 about how how there's the, the olive tree, and that is Abraham and the, the covenant, and we as Gentiles have been grafted in, and yet it's still Abrahamic. We've, we've come into that covenant, but lest we boast and trust, we could fall away and be cut off as well. And, and, and trying to reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles into this church, especially comes in chapters 15, 14 and 15, talking about differences in, in practice and style and how are you going to work those things out. And it was always a, a giving of love and building up of other people, Romans 14 and 15. That was a big issue here for them. It's not, not so big for us. But in the early church, it was a big deal. I mean, those in, in the early church were, were battling, right, this ex- inclusion of the Gentiles. Like, how does this work? In fact, you simply need to re- read the book of Acts. And it it, it carries out how the gospel went first to Judea and Samaria and then to the remotest parts of the earth, but it went to the Jews in Judea and the, and the Jews in Samaria. And, and, then, and then as it went broad, it was still to the, the Jewish people and then only with the persecution of Stephen did it really explode and the gospel began to go to Gentiles. You remember the story that Phil read for us in Acts chapter 10 about Peter on the rooftop praying. He sees this vision of the sheep coming down with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And a voice comes from heaven, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten such unclean animals before. And this voice came, what God has made clean, don't call common. The vision repeated itself three times. Peter refusing to eat three times and was just bewildered. And then there was a knock on the door. It was Cornelius who had sent some of his, um, his friends to come and chase Peter, because he had likewise had another vision, chase Peter ago and talk to us in Joppa. And Peter went and preached the gospel, which Phil read for us. 
the gospel how Christ went about doing good and yet he was crucified, he rose again and he appeared to the witnesses that God had determined beforehand and you believe in him, repent for your sins. He's the one who the Old Testament describes as forgiveness of sins will come through him because there's a day when Jesus will judge the world. And they believed and they embraced Christ. And, and when Peter returned to tell a story of, of the church in Jerusalem, of how, how he, he preached and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and the leaders of the church, it says in Acts eleven eighteen they fell silent. I know there's some interpretation there about like what, what's happening. Um, maybe there's a bit reluctance to like, the Gentiles really are coming in? They did accept it and they said, the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Resigned to that, but eventually they would embrace that as they would, would go out. But the, the question still remains, right? How to include the Gentiles in the church? And the battle of circumcision was front and center. And you just from Acts 10, you get to Acts 15 and trying to figure out circumcision and, and how it works, right? That, that saying, well, Gentiles could be included if they're, if they're circumcised, is what some are saying. And Peter and Barnabas and Paul came and won the day. By saying that, no, we Jews believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Stating thereby that Jews don't need to be circumcised to be saved. And, and we don't see this argument in uh, um, Romans or in Acts chapter 15, but it could very well be the same argument as Romans chapter 4. Listen, when, when Abraham received his righteousness, was he circumcised? You don't need to be circumcised to be saved from your sin. It's exactly the argument. And the Gentiles then can look to Abraham as their father of faith. All of us can look to Abraham as the one who believed when a Gentile. Well, the Jews can also look to Abraham, and in fact they are encouraged to. Verse 12. So not only is Abraham the father of those who have faith counted to them without being circumcised, verse 12, and to make Abraham the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I trust now you see the reasoning for my title this morning, right? The, the, the father of faith for all. Is, is that Abraham is the father of faith for the uncircumcised, verse 11? And he's the father of faith for the circumcised, in verse 12. Both Jews and Gentiles can claim Abraham as their father of faith. Really, it's at this point, really, that Paul brings religious ritual into proper perspective. Right? For the Jew, circumcision must be accompanied by faith. It's not just a mere physical act. It's not anything that is just done externally that, that helps you. In fact, look at the first half of verse 11. Here he describes just the, the importance of, um, of what circumcision is. He, Abraham received the sign of circumcision... As a seal of the righteousness he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. In other words, circumcision basically was an affirmation of Abraham's faith. It was a seal that God delighted in Abraham's faith. As one who believed in the, the promise of God. And God told him then that to go and, and get that sign, continue to go, to go back to Abraham to think, okay, circumcised we Jews are because God commanded Abraham to. And this is a covenant of being there. And it's an expression, a sign, a seal that God was approving of Abraham's circumcision. But circumcision, this was never a means to justification. Circumcision was a sign of faith. And Paul told nowhere, right, told the, the Jews to abandon the circumcision. But he always 
turn people back to faith. Faith is the important thing. It's not the, the right. And in Galatians 5, 6, Paul gives a great perspective. He says this. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. And try to tell that to a Jew that circumcision doesn't count for anything. And what he's getting at there, it doesn't count for anything about being righteous before God. It's, it's not physical, external acts which merit our ways before God. And, and perhaps there are things in the church that, that might be as well, like circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything, right? Church attendance, non-church attendance doesn't mean anything, but faith working through love. Or, or giving or not giving doesn't mean anything. Or serving or not serving doesn't mean anything. But what happens is faith working through love. Now, faith working through love will exhibit itself in those ways. And as faith did exhibit itself through love, circumcision was definitely there. But what Paul says is what's important is faith. And he continues to pound faith as the only path to righteousness. Not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness that God credits to our account by faith. And that's the same emphasis of verse 12. Notice where faith is. And he made Abraham to be the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, that is, not just externally, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And, and you see what he's doing there, right? He's, he's saying it's not the mere outward observance. It, it's your faith that makes a difference. And, and, and you just think about the history of Israel and how often God said, you've got a problem, right? You, you, you need to circumcise your hearts. You might be externally circumcised, but your hearts aren't. And and, and God wasn't interested in the the externals. He was interested in the heart. And listen to how bold the warning is in Jeremiah 9, 25 and 26. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. And how easily you could put that today. I'm going to, to come and punish all those who've been baptized merely in the flesh. Or all those who have come to church so many times, merely in the flesh. Or all those who have sought to to worship God merely in the flesh. What Paul says here in Romans 4 verse 12 is that these are those who are kind of righteous, not, not, not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, and, and Jeremiah even continues to say that all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Of course, he's talking about a time when the decadence ran rapid in Israel. But it can also run in the church, right? They've got a lot of external things going on, but when the heart is not right, God is not pleased. See, it's faith that makes a difference in all of our encouraging, our worship, our praying, our baptism, and celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. Listen, in all religious activity, it's faith that makes the difference. It's, it's faith that redeems that. It's faith that helps that. It's faith that generates that. Just consider the story. Remember when Jesus was early in his ministry, and he was uh, um, out, John the Baptist was baptizing and uh, the Pharisees came to John to be baptized. Do you remember what he said? Some of the harshest words. He saw many of the Pharisees. This is Matthew 3, verse 7 and following. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And, and maybe he didn't raise up stones to be children of Abraham. But he raised us up who are Gentiles, which is the vast majority of us in the room. Maybe we're stones. God has raised us up. We sought repentance and sought God to be children of Abraham. Well, I trust that just even, even that gospel sinks deep into your heart, even as you evaluate all your religious things you do. They're good and beneficial, but do them by faith. Seek your righteousness by faith alone. And, and just maybe one, one other application, I've alluded to this already, but, but just the fact that, that Abraham is the father of the Gentiles by faith. I mean, that, that gives us opportunity to even think about just the, the primacy of Abraham for the Jews. We ought to have that primacy as well as we think about our evangelism, we think about telling others about Christ. And, and we know that he's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And we know that a multitude of nations are going to be before the throne. We can tell people not to be involved in religious things. Right? Not, not to be engaged in, oh, you've got to do this, or you've got to do that, or you've got to do that. No, no. Point people to faith just like Abraham did. And so maybe in your evangelism, it comes up maybe this week, you, you're talking with people, right? The best thing, what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. Oh, how was that? Well, I tell you what, we learned about Abraham, and Abraham is my father of faith because I just believe in God just like Abraham did. There's a simple application. You should talk to people about that. But I would say that this application, it, it goes to Rockford. It goes to Loves Park, McChesney Park, wherever, wherever you may be, Byron or North or Beloit or... You know, it, it goes there that God is interested in bringing his gospel to a lost and dying world. John Piper says this. I'm just going to close with this quote. He says, Paul is passionate about reaching every people group in the world with the gospel and showing that they can be children of Abraham and heirs of the promise by faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from Jewish ritual and apart from American culture. So likewise, when you have opportunity to speak with people, don't pull them into a culture. Pull them back to Abraham to believe in God, trust in Christ and Him alone for your righteousness. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do pray. I, I pray that we would truly enjoy this grace, this message that has come to us from Romans. Lord, I, I pray that this week, just thoughts of circumcision would sink into our hearts and thoughts of other religious activities and things that we seek to do. God, that we would get them in proper perspective, that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Father, may we be those people who love, empowered by our faith. And Father, even I, I pray that prepare the way for next week when we look at a similar, similar argument that, that, Paul, that Abraham was saved before the law, before Moses came along, and therefore our salvation comes based on the promise not on the legalities of a law. Oh God, help us to be people who relish, enjoy the gospel. Father, those who trust you in all ways. Father, so help us this week. We pray your blessing upon us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.